The following program was pre-recorded on WFAN. It's time for Hello, My Name is Craig, our weekly candid conversation about gambling addiction. It's supported by the Council on Compulsive Gambling of New Jersey, 800-GAMBLER. Now, here's Craig Carton. Good morning and welcome to another edition of Hello, My Name is Craig. Craig Carton with you for the next half hour, an open, frank, honest conversation really about gambling, gambling addiction, and uh, mental health. As always, joining me today is Dan Trelaro. Danny's now with Epic Risk Management, but formerly, of course, with the New Jersey Council on Compulsive Gambling, uh, 1-800-GAMBLER. Danny, good morning. How you doing, pal? I'm doing well today, Craig. How are you? Doing well, and uh, happy to have, uh, for the first time on this show, Mike. Mike is also an advisor for Epic, and uh, my like myself and Danny, is a uh, compulsive gambler in recovery. Mike, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Craig. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. I, we always appreciate guys and women, you know, like you and the rest of us, uh, sharing stories. Because I think, you know, personalizing the experience, I think, uh, makes it easier for people who have no connection to it or maybe think they have a relative or a loved one who's going through it, maybe understand it a little bit more. So are you an East Coast guy? Where are you from, Mike? Uh, I'm originally from Long Island. I now reside in uh, Monmouth County, New Jersey. Great. And uh, give us an idea for you. Before it became problematic, what was kind of your first entry into the world of uh, wagering and gambling? Sure. You know, my first memory of gambling is when I was growing up, my family went to vacation at Lake George, and we took a trip to Saratoga. So my dad was a horse player. And uh, my sister, who was probably four at the time, I was five, hit a 36-to-1, picked a 36-to-1 shot. And I remember that vividly. I mean, she won and I, I didn't. But that was sort of my entree into gambling, and it, it started at a pretty young age. Do you remember vividly back then, based on that win or at least the family vacation, you wanting to do it more or asking your dad, hey, when do we get to go back and see the horses or you know, go to you know, you know, different tracks throughout you know, New Jersey or New York? Sure. I mean, I grew up with it. My dad was always kind of into it on the weekends when he wasn't working. So I was always very interested because that was the way I would spend time with him, frankly. You know, so whether he's watching it at home or going to the OTB or going to the track, I always wanted to to tag along and be a part of it. So, you know, even in my early sort of years before 10 and and through teenagers, teenage years, I, I was always into horse racing. That was sort of my first uh, my first love, frankly, as it related to gambling. Right. And, and because of that, it was uh, very normal, right? Like you grew up with it, therefore it was normal. And while a lot of kids your age might not have gotten it, there's probably even a cool factor to the fact that at 10 years old, you could open up uh, the daily form and handicap a race. 100%. 100%. Yeah. For me, it was something I took a lot of pride in. I learned how to read the racing form at a very, very young age. And it was something that, yeah, it was. I was different. I was different than a lot of my friends in that way. And, Dan, we talk about that a lot, not to be uh, too repetitive uh, this this particular show, but the normalcy at a young age where, hey, it's what my family does, it's what my dad does, and there's nothing wrong with it because I see my dad do it. Exactly. Learn behavior from parents, someone you look up to, and it's, you know, it's that big win, not only a 36-to-1 shot, but just a bonding time with family. And that's what we talk about. That big win can come in a monetary form, you know, laughter, joy, uh, connection with with people that you love and you know mike and i connect on so many levels it was great just chatting and meeting him a couple weeks ago in the city and going over some things and you know mike the horse racing was my first love and i remember going to the haskell and the meadowlands and my first book that i ever really read cover to cover was andrew byers speed 
ratings and how to handicap thoroughbreds. <laughs> <laughs> well, looking back on it, that's problematic for sure. Yeah. So, Mike, how old were you when you started gambling your own money? Like, you, you go through, you're in college, you're out of college. When did it become a part of your daily life? Uh, I would say I, it, I started as a teenager. So, you know, working, you know, working, you know, paper routes or working on the weekend when I was a little bit older. Uh, birthday money. I mean, it started really at a young age. So I probably made my first sports wager at 12, uh, Super Bowl 20. The Giants and the Broncos was sort of the first sports wager I remember. But through high school, it was mostly playing cards with my buddies, you know, playing with friends who were, you know, we played football, baseball, basketball together. And on the weekends, we'd get together and we'd play card games. Right. You know, whatever cash I could get together, I'd bring with me. If I lost all the cash, I would you know, be betting on credit with them. And it was always sort of a running joke with my friends through high school, but I was always chasing losses as, as early as probably 15, 16, 17 um, years old. So looking back on your life now with clarity you didn't have then, is there a, not a specific day necessarily, but a specific kind of uh, age where you now look back and go, oh, wow, I was really uh, betting compulsively. I had clearly had a problem. This uh, I'm doing this more than my buddies are doing it. Um or any of that type of stuff? Uh, you know, I would say that I probably knew it deep down inside at that point in high school, but there was a time when I was in college. So when I went on to college, you know, I left my sort of friends behind and I started in a new place and I started casino gambling pretty frequently because I was going to college in Michigan. And so there were tribal casinos within an hour and Canada was about an hour and a half. So I started gambling in the casino, mostly playing blackjack and, um, I remember coming home one morning, really, it was after kind of an overnight bender, you know, in the casino. And I, you know, I wasn't betting big numbers, but for me, I didn't have any money. So I remember coming home and just sort of breaking down in my dorm room and just being like, I have a problem. I have to get help. But, you know, very shortly thereafter, at you know, whatever I was, 19 or 20, I just sort of shook it off and said, like, okay, get back on the horse, keep going. Right. So that was the first time. And then I probably want like another you know, 20 years or so, 15, 20 years or so before I got to the point where, you know, I was sort of tapped out and I couldn't do it anymore. And as you get older and then have other responsibilities, give me an idea on, you know, some of the bad decisions you might have made either to acquire money, to to get money, to to continue to gamble with before you hit rock bottom. Sure. I mean, there's plenty of them. <laughs> there's plenty of them. I mean, I mean, I would say, you know, in general, I don't. I would say I never committed a, a an illegal act, which I'm. You know, I'm. I'm thankful that I never got to that point because mm-hmm. it's not to say it wasn't possible. I think I just, you know, wasn't willing to cross that line. But you know, in terms of you know, sort of you know, taking money, family money from my ex-wife and our family, and you know, taking money out of you know savings accounts and retirement accounts, and sort of cutting off my 401k. So, you know, she thought I was maxing it out and I'd cut it by X percent. So I have a little extra money in my paycheck, um, you know, credit cards that she didn't know about. Sure. I, I, I needed, you know, I did it. I did whatever was possible to continue to fuel the right. behavior. You so know? you became, you become, uh, well, you didn't do anything illegal. You, you become a world-class uh, liar, a world-class sneak, yeah. right? Yeah, sneak. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, she was an enabler, you know, um, in the sense that she she knew I was gambling, but she never really kind of pinned me down on it. So that was made it easier. But yeah, I was sneaking around. I was taking money that didn't belong to me. I didn't have the, the authority to do it, but I felt like in my mind it was justified. And I, 
you know, well, I was chasing, I was chasing losses, you know, again, sure. you know, into adulthood. <laughs> so at the, at the height of the gambling, give us an idea. Like if you were going to go to a casino or, you know, dedicate time to it, you know, what type of time are we talking about? Like, would you go and spend, you know, 18 straight hours at a table or a slot machine or a craps table or blackjack or what it might be? Yeah, I think I think at the height of it, I probably I probably did something like that, eighteen to twenty four hours in a row. Um, you know, and, and I, you know, as I got older, you know, into adulthood, you know, I would I wouldn't go to Atlantic City or Las Vegas all that much because of responsibilities. But when I would go, yeah, I would stay up all night and gamble and not move from a table and you know you know, keep hitting the ATM or the credit machine trying to win those losses back. So, yeah, I mean, there was, there was nothing that was going to stop me unless I, you know, I, I just didn't have any money left. And what was uh, the game of choice? Because you, you sound like an action gambler only because of the horse racing connection. Were you a craps guy, a blackjack guy? What was your game? No, I didn't play craps much. And, and interestingly, I, I wouldn't consider myself to be an action guy. I, mm-hmm. The horses, I was sort of like Dan. I read a lot of books. I considered myself a student. I probably wasn't half bad at it. I just couldn't control, you know, the compulsion to sort of chase the losses when I was losing. But I was a blackjack guy, you know, sort of kind of got into counting cards at one point, you know, sort of this idea that I could beat the house. Right. Um, but but I wasn't, like, I wasn't playing slot machines. I would play, play craps for fun with friends but i wouldn't do it on my own so um i i I thought of myself as a smart gambler you know i wanted to to be right more than win money yeah no i did too and there's a the ego uh is a huge part of that and i remember just because of my my desire to constantly uh you know i couldn't sit still i'm not good at sitting still never happened in my life regardless of gambling so i remember there were times where you know i'm betting ten fifteen thousand dollars a hand playing blackjack and while, let's say I'm at a winning table, so I'm not going to leave it, and the dealer's uh, shuffling the six decks, there's a Baccarat table literally five feet behind the blackjack tables in this one particular casino where I'm in this like you know, VIP type of room. Mm-hmm. Now, I've never played Baccarat in my life, but I can't sit for the two and a half minutes it takes the dealer <laughs> to shuffle the six <laughs> decks, so I take 10000 bucks and I start playing Baccarat. <laughs> I mean... So- <laughs> Yeah, and once some lost, some neither here nor there. But you know, right. it was oh, there's an open table. That's my table. So, uh, yeah, so I understand. You know, the craps for fun type of thing. Mm-hmm. I, I, I was never a craps guy, but I understand the concept of you know keeping the money uh, active. So, mm-hmm. before we take the first break, give us an idea. At some point, I, I assume there's a, a new level of rock bottom. There's some type of epiphany, some type of uh, major catastrophic event you get found out something what was the uh, final event for you that made you decide all right a hole it's time to get some help <laughs> yeah so well uh, the, the background is is when my first child was born in 2008 i i made an active choice to start sports gambling on a daily basis and in my mind that was my way to um, you know, give myself something to do. It was sort of my time, my escape, because, you know, my whole life got turned upside down. And I was, listen, I love my children and I was really happy, but, you know, it was a lot of responsibility that I probably wasn't fully ready for. And so I started betting every day. So um, I bet it, I bet every day on sports for about four years straight. So that was, you know, football, baseball, basketball, maybe a little bit of hockey, some soccer, but pretty much I didn't go a day without a bet. Um, and it progressed over those four years and about, 
Um, at about four years into that, when my son was just turning four, I had a panic attack, a pretty severe one for the first time in my life. And, uh, I, I just, in my life had become, you know, unmanageable. I just, you know, was hiding, lying. I was running out of money. You know, no one knew exactly what I was doing. And that panic attack really scared me. Um, it didn't stop me from gambling right at that point, but I'd say within a couple of months, we were going on a family vacation uh, to Long Beach Island, New Jersey. Um, the night or two before, I was like, I don't want to ruin this vacation because I've ruined so many before it because of my gambling. So I made a choice in my head. I said, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm going to just take a week off and give my family a, a real vacation. And I did that. And it really was one of the best vacations of my life. I was not gambling. I was clear-headed. I was able to be there present for my my ex-wife and my kids. And, and by the end, I, by the, as the week went on, it was like the, the telltale heart, the guilt got so bad towards the end. I, I kind of came clean when we got back to my ex and told her everything I was doing. And <laughs> that was, that was sort of like a shock to her because she knew I gambled, but she didn't understand the depth of it, the, the amount of money, the time, all the things I was doing. And I sort of kind of like just unloaded. She didn't find me out, but I, I told her. And the next morning I went to my first meeting you know, to prove to her that I was serious about it. And that was July 29th of 2012. Um, that was my first GA meeting. And uh, mm. from there, I, hadn't, I haven't made another bet since. Awesome. We'll, we'll go down that road and uh, talk about what life's like uh, now. Talking to Mike, uh, Gambling Recovery, who's now an advisor for Epic. And, of course, Dan Trelaro, formerly with the New Jersey Council on Compulsive Gambling. And he still uh, you know, talks to those guys and helps. Uh, he's with Epic Risk Management now as well. More coming up right after this on Hello, My Name is Craig. Back to more of Hello, My Name is Craig on The Fan with your host, Craig Carton, and supported by the Council on Compulsive Gambling of New Jersey, 800-GAMBLER. Welcome back to Hello, My Name is Craig, uh, talking to Mike and, of course, Dan Trelaro. Dan, I'll get to you in a second. So when we went to break, Mike, you uh, came clean on your own. It wasn't like you got caught uh, to your now ex-wife. And I imagine that it was liberating, Right away, or does that did it become liberating for you? You know, kind of you know, a couple days later, because you got it off your chest. And when you did come clean, was it a hundred percent, or did you save a couple things that you didn't share? So it was liberating immediately. Um, as much pain as I knew I was causing her, like I had just worn so much of it on my own for so long that the idea that I could just sort of let it out was a relief to me, even though I knew the risk was that she might leave me, which she didn't at the time, ironically mm -hmm. enough. We were together for quite some time after that. Um, you know, so I was, I was like, I felt great about it myself, but you know, it was, it was stressful. Um, you know, I, I knew I wanted to be done though. And so that was, you know, that was, I, I feel really good about that in retrospect. I, I don't know if I held anything back from her. No, I, I don't think so. I mean, did we ever sort of go through every. Well, no, I'm not talking about the nitty gritty. Like, you know, you're not going to share every single time you sat down at a table, but you know, I found in my experience, a lot of people, myself included, you kind of tell a portion of the story at first. Um, almost like you're testing the waters before you kind of spill your guts completely. Yeah. Not at that, yeah. not at that point, not at that point. And even in other parts of my life, you know, I remember that was at the end of July of 2012. I had actually made a plan. I was planning to go to Saratoga with some of my high school friends. And we did this, 
you know, pretty frequently, you know, you know, every summer. And I, I remember sending an email to all of them, like 15 or 20 guys. And I just said, Hey guys, listen, I'm done with this. I can't go with you. Um, and I basically just spilled the beans to them and said like, listen, like this is over. So like, I really started putting up roadblocks for myself right away and telling people like my family and other friends and, like, I just knew that if I didn't do that, I would give myself the opening to go back. Got it. Dan, you hear what I'm saying, right? Where it's not always, hey, I'm just going to spill the beans on everything, right? Oh, my gosh, Craig. I mean, the stuff trickled out for like three years for me. I mean, it was just from day one when I was caught and I had to confess to everything I did for five hours in a closed conference room, there were still things that they didn't know. And, you know, it's it's so funny because Mike kind of said it before, you know, at a young age, you – you kind of take that bad beat and you're like, I'm done with this thing. And the next day you wake up and it's like, okay, you know what? I'm a smart guy. I'm going to figure this out. Maybe it's not so bad, you know? And, and that's the nature of gambling addiction is that mm-hmm. it's the hidden nature. It's the intermittent reward. And Craig, you said it as well. I'm going to test the waters. I want to know that people are ready to hear what I have to say. So I'm only going to give them 60% or 70%, whatever the hell it is. I'm not going to tell you everything right from the get go, because I'm just not convinced that you're able to handle it all. I'm not ready to part with it all. There's so many emotions going through there. And, yeah, for about three years, in my case, things randomly from time to time would trickle out. And quite honestly, there were things that I literally had forgotten about. And people who've never dealt with this type of addiction or maybe addiction in general, they don't understand how you can forget. But I think both of you could agree that there are certain areas that you just block out of your brain until it's triggered, and you're like, yep. oh, my gosh, I totally forgot about yeah, there's that. Yeah, uh, there's a concept in therapy that's referred to as, uh, or even in rehab, I guess, that's referred to as people, places, and things, right? And the notion of that, for those of you that are listening that don't know what I mean by that, is, you know, the people you hung out with, the places you went, the things you did. And you're, you're right. That there, I, I, not a day goes by in my life where I don't see something, hear something, uh, you know, uh, whatever it may be, mm-hmm. where I'm not reminded of something that I had no recollection of at all, and then bang, right now in the minute, in the moment, I'm uh, immediately brought back to that, you know, spot, that person, that thing. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's scary sometimes because, yeah. you know, you think that there's a, a finite amount of those things, and uh, I, w- when the day comes that I'm not reminded, I'll let you both know. Um, cause it, it, it's, and sometimes it's something stupid, like, you know, so, you know, one of the things I used to do, cause you know, I would drink while I gambled, but I wouldn't eat. And there were times where, you know, I had this like VIP room literally to myself. So I would ask the butler at a casino, all right, you know, give me, uh, you know, a white house sub, get, you know, give me some lo mein from noodle world, give me some sushi, give me a pizza, whatever. And invariably the food sat there, but. You know, I was literally eating, um, you know, chicken lo mein the other day, and I had this flashback to this huge table of lo mein that was sitting on a roller cart, you know, next to the table. You know, yeah. and I, I don't know why it popped into my head, but it did. You know, one of the big things, Mike, uh, that I think is important that we talk about is that it's uh, it's possible to overcome this addiction. It's possible, maybe not to. To, to solve it 100% or cure it 100%, it's possible to beat it in the moment. And by that, I mean you're in your 10th year now of not placing a wager of any kind. So I wonder if you could tell the audience, especially people that are at the very beginning of that journey, um, how amazing life is, how 
financially you can get back on your feet, how you can repair, if not all, some relationships, and how good you feel now without gambling being a part of your life? Yeah, I, I mean, I don't think there are any really words that can do it justice. You know, for me, uh, life in recovery, I mean, while hard at times, you know, you know, specifically in the beginning of it, I mean, now almost, you know, nine, almost nine full years away from it, over nine years away from it. Um, you know, my whole life has changed and my perspective on life has changed. My relationships have changed with my family and my children. And, you know, I have a new career. Um, I, I left my old career, which is largely based on, you know, status and money. And now I'm doing something in my life that really is important to me. And that was inspired by going through the process of recovery. And, you know, for me, it was the, the, I have I have a friend in recovery who would would always say when I was came in initially he would say if you work as hard at recovery as you did at gambling your life's going to be pretty good and I've always yep. taken that to heart and I've really worked as hard at this process as I did as a gambler because I worked really hard at gambling it wasn't just hey take your money and throw it down the toilet it was right. wake up at 5 a.m. and handicap football games on Saturday morning before the kids get up and need a bath it was you know, staying up to one o'clock in the morning, watching the West Coast game and waiting for the Lions to come out for the next day. It wasn't me just throwing money good after bad. It was me thinking I was smart. And I invested so much time and energy and I taken that time and energy that I invested in gambling and I've invested in myself, you know, the money, all of it. And now my life is just, you know, obviously life happens, excuse my language, no worries. Um, <laughs> but, but, you know, I, I can deal with it now because I don't have the, the, the um the albatross of gambling around my neck and and I'm just I'm just so grateful to to not have it in my life. Well, I really appreciate you sharing your story. I say all the time the amount of available brain space I have now not gambling. It's I don't know how I did it. I really don't like you look back on all the time you spent, you know, worrying about it, processing it, you know, coming up with a plan of how, when, where, and now not having any of it. It's like you made a comment earlier. You know, my wife always quotes uh, the um the movie uh, Mr. Mom, because uh, in the movie there's that one line where uh, she says, even when you're here, you're not here. Mm. And that was my life. Physically, I was there. I didn't miss a damn thing physically. But I wasn't yep. there mo emotionally. I wasn't there mentally. And I was kind of hollow. And you know, I made a comment the other day to someone. Um, actually, the, uh, the person I talk to every single week is part of therapy. And I said, you know, the other day I was hanging out with my kids. Uh, we took our, our kids back to college. And we went fishing. And after I went fishing, I had about two hours in between getting off this boat and fishing and going to dinner, right? And for those two hours, I literally sat with my kids and my wife, and it was, there was nothing, not a single thing happened, right? We played some cornhole, we hung out, and it was just two hours of kind of chill. And it dawned on me that had this been five years ago, I wouldn't have been there for those two hours. Mm -hmm. I would have gone to the casino for sure, been late coming back, and then the entire time back during dinner, I would have been going over what happened at the casino over those mm -hmm. two hours, and it just felt so good to mm -hmm. just be there in the moment and really be there. And if, if, if nothing else, that's kind of my message for today, is that mm -hmm. that is a really, really good feeling, and I know you share it. Definitely.
That's a great feeling, being well, present in the moment, sharing those little moments where, where nothing's happening, but at the same time, everything's happening. Yeah, yeah, that, that's what it is. So, anyway, Mike, I appreciate you sharing your story. I'm glad things are going so well for you. I hope uh, you have, do you have a relationship you know, with your kids and ex-wife, and the, all that's good. And uh, whatever you are doing for Epic, I'm sure it's great. And I uh, look forward to meeting you one day and staying in touch. So thank you for your time. Sounds great, Craig. Thanks for yours. I appreciate it. You got it. Dan, thanks for bringing Mike on, and it's uh, it's you know I know we say it a lot on this show, but I think it's important to you know for people to hear it that that first step's the hardest, but a hundred steps later, you know happiness is possible, and conquering this in the moment is possible as well. Yeah, I agree, and and we don't hear any cases of someone saying the process was smooth, it was easy, right? Every one of them is, hey, I it's almost like a start and a stop. But it's all worth it in the end. It's 100 steps to get there, and some of those steps are sideways, and some of them are backwards, and many of them are uphill. And at the end, after those steps are taken, and as they continue to be taken, because you never fully conquer it, it's worth it when you look backwards to see how far you've come. I mean, me, you, Mike, and countless others that we've had, and even the people that listen and wonder if they have a problem, it's possible. It's, it's possible. Yeah, well, I appreciate it. Uh, we're getting close to uh, to Labor Day, so enjoy the last uh, week of summer, and I uh, look forward to doing a lot more with you uh, in the fall ahead. Thanks so much. Hey, thanks a lot, Craig. Have a great week. Uh, there you go. Another edition of Hello, My Name is Craig. Uh, coming up next is Joe Giglio, and then on Monday, Evan and I are back together again at 2 o'clock. Football season's close, and the Yankees are still red hot. Have a great day.